like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 9. If, if you, we're going to begin there, so Acts chapter 9, you can turn in your, in your Bibles. Uh, most people, most people, there are, there are a few that don't, but most people like to, to travel. Most people like to travel. Uh, they go to a place that they've, they've never been to before, never experienced before, or to go someplace new and, and get a new experience of some sort. In, in many cases, people like going to places because they know they're going to meet new people, or maybe you like to travel to a place to see somebody that you've known for a long time and you haven't seen for a while. Uh, if that's you, then, then, then 2020 was a really tough year for travel, right? There, there's a lot of, there was a lot of curtailing of travel in this last year, and uh, uh, it had its challenges, but many of you still were able to do that. I enjoy traveling for all of those reasons. I enjoy uh, getting in a car or getting in an airplane and going someplace, particularly a place that I've never been. I like to experience those new those new places and those new experiences i i like to meet new people and see some people that i've known for a long time but i have to say this in regards to travel if i had to travel alone i probably wouldn't do it i probably wouldn't i was a little bit older when i when I married, and I did some traveling before that, but I really did not enjoy it because I had no one to look back on and remember the experience. I had no one to say to them, look at that over there. And to be quite honest with you, there were times when I was traveling alone. I went on a motorcycle trip once alone uh, for quite a, quite a long distance, and and I remember thinking, man, if I, if I go off a cliff or if I go off into the bush, um, uh, this was before cell phones, if I, if I crash, they may not find me until next year. Uh, coyotes are going to carry me away. What's going to happen if I'm traveling alone? So if, if I had to travel alone, I, I probably wouldn't because I have found, and maybe you have as well, that taking a journey with someone makes the journey so much better. If you go on a journey with someone, it makes the journey so much better. The man that we know as Paul was a traveler. Now, some of you know a lot about Paul and some very, very little. I was having a discussion a couple of weeks ago with my wife, and, and I, I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be sharing this. I'm going to be preaching several messages on this, and, and, and it's talking about the, the traveling companions of Paul. She says, well, you'd better talk about Paul. And I made the comment. I was kind of semi-serious. I said, you know, everybody knows who Paul is. And she says, no, they don't. Now, I, I don't mean to be condescending. I'm not, I'm not minimizing your knowledge or lack of it. But there are a lot of people in our church that are, are new in the faith and don't know a great deal about Paul. But Paul was a remarkable man. And Paul traveled a lot. But he also, one thing that you'll soon find out, is that Paul never traveled alone. One of the best parts of Paul's story 
uh, began in Acts chapter 9. Hopefully you have your Bibles there, Acts chapter 9, along with others. And I never noticed this until I went again to this text. Even on this occasion, it says that others were traveling with Paul. Give you a little heads up. This is before he's a Christian, just before. But even here, when he's traveling, he is with others. And he's, he's traveling someone. He's traveling to a city called Damascus. And he's going there to Damascus to find Christians to bring them to trial. You see, Paul was himself a a very learned person, and he was also, in some respects, a Jewish leader. He believed that Jesus, who at this point by Acts chapter 9, Paul believed that Jesus, who had already ascended into heaven, uh, had been a false teacher. And he believed that this new thing called Christianity was a false religion or a false teaching. He really sincerely believed that. And he was doing everything he could to stamp it out. By all means possible, he was intent on stamping out this, what he perceived to be a false teaching called Christianity. In fact, in the chapter just before this, Acts chapter 8, is actually where he's mentioned for the first time, and it says that he was standing and watching and in some ways assisting with the, uh, with the execution of one of the first believers, a man named Stephen. He was, he was in favor of this. Now you think of that, just, just think of that for a moment. The, the way that they killed these, these early believers often was through stoning. And what that means is that they would put them down among a pile of rocks, they would gather people around, and they would take large rocks, not little pebbles, not something that would simply hurt, but something that would kill or maim, and they would take those fist-sized rocks and they would point them at their head, and they, with all of their might, would try to kill them, and in fact, they would kill them. They would throw rocks at them until they were dead. And you think about a terrible terrible, horrible thing, not only a way to die, but a terrible thing to do. Paul was in favor of this kind of thing. He was, he was guilty of, of, of going and, and, and finding, so that's what he's doing in, on Damascus. He's going to this new community to find some more Christians, to bring them to trial, and if they were found guilty, what had happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 8 was going to happen to them. This man is a killer, or at least takes part in the killing of Christians. Paul was extremely zealous for God, but he didn't know God. We would say Paul was extremely devout. He knew a lot about God. He was, again, a very educated Jewish man who understood the Mosaic law, uh, understood it very well. Uh, And and he had a a passion, a zeal for God, but he didn't really know God. And there is a difference. You see, back then and now, there are people who know a lot about God, but that doesn't mean that they know who God is. They don't know his heart. They're not in relationship. A Sunday school class some years ago, the teacher 
was encouraging children to write letters to God, right? <laughs> Today we're going to write a letter to God, and, and, and so, so, so each child wrote something. Missy, who was eight years old, eight-year-old Missy wrote this in her letter to God. Dear God, my pastor is Pastor Johnson. Do you know him personally or is it just business? I don't know about Mr. Pastor Johnson, but, but that's kind of a, kind of a tough statement. Do, do you know him personally or is it just business? I would say that, that for Paul, his relationship with God was very, it was very business. It was very, it was very uh, follow, literally follow the letter of the law and, uh, uh, and, and stamp out anything that, that was a perceived threat against it. He, he, he knew God professionally, but not personally. In Acts chapter 9, you have it there before you. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, notice he's on a trip, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, that's his Jewish name, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I want you to see there were three things that happened to him in very, very quick sequence. It says there was, while he was on his journey, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice from heaven. Very, very quickly, he hears, he experiences these three things, and it was, in many regards, the turning point of his life. Now, there's a lot more to this part of his story. You can read both before and after it later on. But I will tell you this, in the hours and days that followed, Paul came to faith in Christ. It went from being just professional, I'm doing this for God, to I now know God. Again, it went from professional to personal. I'm not just doing this for God or because I'm supposed to do this. I am doing this because I know God. I actually meet Him. I know Him. I have a personal relationship with Him. That happened in the hours and in the days following this divine encounter with Jesus Christ. Powerful story. Now, some of you may be thinking, my conversion wasn't anything like that, and, and it's probably true. Uh, when, I, when I came to Christ, I didn't hear a voice out of heaven. I didn't fall down to the, the ground. I, 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 I didn't experience that, that, that voice from, from God, the, the audible voice didn't see lightning flash around me, but, but, but uh, I think sometimes the degree or the drama 
uh, surrounding a person's conversion is an indicator of just how much God is going to use them. I've known people who had extremely powerful encounters, and in the months and years that followed, they needed to remember back to that, and they needed that level of, of dramatic encounter because of the task that it was given them. But most of us, not, that, not nearly that dramatic, and yet what happened to Paul happens to us. We, we go from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. We go from knowing about God to actually knowing God. We, we go from outside the family to being adopted and become a part of the family. And there's a huge difference. We become his. Paul specifically went from hunting Christians <laughs> to being a Christian. He began a new journey. We'll talk about his journey here in a moment, but he began a new journey. He began the journey of following Jesus Christ. And we don't know exactly how much, precisely how many more years he lived, but for some decades. But for the rest of his life, he went from simply hunting Christians, he no longer hunted them, he became a Christian, and in many regards, he became hunted himself. Later in his life, much later, decades later, in a Holy Spirit-inspired letter, in fact, I'd like you, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Would you go ahead and turn there, all the way to the right. Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and in that Holy Spirit-inspired letter, Paul recalled, he, he thinks back, he's directed by the Holy Spirit, he's writing this letter to a young protege named Timothy, we'll talk more about him later on, but he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's remembering back, recalling what he had been before coming to Christ. Look there in chapter in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 he wrote this. Though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Now he says a lot that he's he's remember this is retrospect. This is this is remembering back. Again, he said, I was once a blasphemer. Paul said he had blasphemed. What, what does that mean? That means he spoke irreverently of God or about God. Now remember, he was a good, a, a very devout Jewish person, but, but when he looked back, when he spoke against Jesus, he understood he was speaking against God because Jesus is God. How, how many people... How many people can look back, don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you can look back at a point in your life and, and you think, I can't believe I said that about Jesus. I can't believe I said those things. I can't believe I misused his name or I misrepresented him to others. Paul said, I was once a blasphemer. He said how he had persecuted Christians. That's the second thing he says. He says, I was a persecutor. Uh, that's what he was doing back in Acts chapter 8 and 9, right? Standing while some were being killed, going and finding others to bring them to trial and eventually be killed. He was a persecutor. Paul went on to say that his life had been marked by violence. His life was marked by 
ignorance and unbelief. Now remember, he's a very educated man. In fact, I would have to say that Paul is perhaps, uh, not, not perhaps, uh, of all of the first early followers of Jesus, Paul was the most educated. But he says here, I was ignorant. I knew the letter of the law, but I didn't know the, the author of it. I didn't know the heart of God. He said, my life was marked by violence and ignorance and unbelief. But I want you to notice what I think is one of the most important words in that, in that verse before you. It, it, it's, it's easily overlooked, but it's powerful. It is the word was. Do you see that? In fact, if, you, if, if you're into marking up your Bibles, just put a little line under that word was. It's a powerful word. He, he said, I was once, uh, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a violent man. Not I am, but I was. I like that. It's past tense. It, it, it speaks, that word was speaks of change and it, and it, speaks, of, it speaks of transformation. Paul was saying that he was all of those things. But notice it says also, he says, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy. Words are very important to me. They're not here by mistake. That word mercy means God's compassion, his kindness extended to someone. We sang about that this morning, how God is compassionate and kind. He says, I, in, in, in the midst of all of that verse there, uh, uh, the things that he was, he also says, I was shown mercy. Verse 14, the next verse, he wrote this. The grace, that means unmerited favor, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. It was, past tense, it was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's remembering back decades before. He remembers the person that he was, the blasphemer, the, the, the persecutor, he, he remembers the violence. He remembers the ignorance and the, the unbelief. He remembers that violent, violent man. But now he says, but God's grace, God's favor, not only is God's compassion, his mercy towards me, but God's favor. It's something active. It's something powerful. It's not just that God is looking at him and saying, oh, I feel bad for him, but rather it's God saying, I'm going to change him. And it says God poured out his, uh, poured out his grace upon me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul declared with this statement in verses 13 and 14, 14, Paul declared that his life was no longer defined by what he was before knowing Jesus, but by who he was in Jesus. Let me say that again. Paul was making very clear, he was declaring, my life is no longer going to be determined by what I was before Christ, but who I am in Jesus Christ. 
We sang about that this morning as well. I didn't know we were going to sing this. I should have. I, I, I had the list. But it struck me as we were singing it. We sang these words, I am who you say I am. How many people, how many people will look at your life and they will say, I know what you did. I know what you've done. And some will even say, I know who you are because they remember what you did. It may have been days ago, weeks ago, months ago, years ago. But they remember what you did. And they still hold that against you. But by God's grace, God looks at us and he does not see who we were, or pardon the English, who we was, but who we are. He sees who we are. I am who you say I am. He was saying, Paul was saying, hey, if Jesus can forgive me, he can forgive anyone. Uh, 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 again, don't, don't, don't raise your hand, but were, were you a blasphemer? Were, were you a persecutor? Were you personally responsible for the, uh, for the death of one of God's people? Were, 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 was your life marked by violence or ignorance or unbelief? You know, I've had people say, oh, God could never forgive me for what I've done. I say, you don't know the Bible. Let me tell you, the Bible is full of people who were, who were immoral in every conceivable way, who were violent in every conceivable way, who were opposed to God in every conceivable way, and yet Jesus changed them. He poured out his grace to them, and they became different by the power, by the mercy, and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you know what? If, if, you, if you're here today, or you're listening, and you're thinking, you're thinking, uh, you know, boy, the things that I've done, God can't forgive. How dare you? How, how dare you say that your sin is greater than God's grace? It's not. My God's grace is bigger than anything you could do. You could do it in 10 lifetimes, and, and, and God's grace is still bigger if you go for it, if you, if you, if you reach out to him as Paul did. I think, I think the word... I think the word was is one of the most dynamic words in all of the Bible. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to put the was in our lives. Jesus went to the cross and he rose from the dead to put the, we ought to put that, Tim, where are you? We ought to put that on a bumper sticker. Put that, Jesus died on the cross to put the was in your life. Now people will look at that now and even understand that, but you do. He did it to put the was in our life. Not who I am, but who I was. Who I was. This relates to the person who's not yet surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. This morning, whether you're here or elsewhere, you need to hear this. The most important thing that you can do, not just this day, the most important thing you can do in all of your lifetime is surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, may your mercy and your grace be poured out upon me. And I promise you that he will do it. 
This message, this relates to the person who has not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, this also relates to those who may be tempted to give up up on your journey with Christ because you've fallen in some way. I don't know who you are and I don't know what you've done. And quite frankly, I don't want to know. But somebody, even in this last week, something happened or something in the last month, something happened and you're thinking, I might as well just give up because I can't live for Jesus. I might as well just quit. It's too hard. It's harder than I ever thought. I think I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to go run into that thing that, 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 that I've fallen to before. I'm, I'm just going to keep falling. So I'm just going to run into I'm going to abandon my walk. I'm going to stop the journey. I'm telling you, this message is for you. That God's grace is greater, that his mercy is more powerful. God's grace has not given up on you. His grace is abundant. I like how it says here, his grace was poured out on me. You know, I think, I think some people's understanding of God's grace is like this, uh, is like this um, I, I don't know, this, this, this dish rag that has just a little bit of moisture in it. And if you squeeze it just enough, there will be a couple of drops that come out. But that's not how it is. I'm talking, this is like an ice bucket challenge where there is so much and it just pours out on you. And, and there's so much and it, it leaves you dripping. His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is greater than your failure. Some of you really need to hear that because you're tempted to give up on the journey. Don't you give up. God's grace is greater than your sin. His grace is not given up on you. It was poured out on Paul. It can be poured out on you. In fact, it was because of that transformation that Paul traveled. Because of what happened to him, he traveled. Now remember, he's, the Bible says here in the early part of, of uh, Acts chapter 9 that he was traveling to Damascus to go round up some Christians. Never noticed that before, but he was a traveler before coming to Christ. But if anything, he really amped up his travel afterwards. In fact, he went to places that he would have never thought about going before Christ. If you have a printed Bible, you may have, in fact, you can turn there. You may have at the very end of your Bibles uh, a set of maps. <laughs> I, I, I was talking to someone and they said, I said, do you, do, you, do you read the Bible? He says, I have read everything. I have read everything from Genesis to maps. <laughs> he says, I've read it all. And, and, and if you have, a, like I have here in my hand, if you have a, 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 a printed Bible, uh, probably all the way at the very end is a set of maps. And at the far end of the map section is probably one that looks kind of like this. It's the... Uh, it's the travels of Paul. It's the one of the eastern Mediterranean with uh, a bunch of lines in it indicating trips, journeys, travels. Those journeys are recorded in your Bible in the book of Acts. But why did Paul travel? I mean, we, have to, we know that he did. He went on four different journeys, three what we call missionary journeys, where he and other people would travel. We'll talk about that in coming weeks. He would travel around and he would share the gospel with people along with others. 
And then the final journey that he went on, and that was his journey to Rome. And that, too, was not done alone. So, so there are four different journeys. But why did he travel? Why did? We have to ask the why question. Why did Paul travel? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go ahead in your Bibles. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here he explains why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 11, Paul wrote this, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Stop there for a moment. He's saying here what Jesus had done in him, he wanted Jesus to do in other people. I mean, this guy had experienced Jesus' transformation. He remembers what it was like to be in spiritual darkness and then come into spiritual light. He knew what it was like to know God, excuse me, to know about God, but not really know God. And so he is, he's moved, he's driven to take what he's experienced in Jesus Christ, that same experience with others. So if that meant traveling to those who hadn't heard about Jesus, well then so be it. He's going to get on the, and, and you think about that, traveling then? was infinitely more difficult than it is now. I mentioned earlier, I, I like to travel. I've actually, we've, my wife and I have traveled several times in this last year. And quite frankly, if you're traveling by air, and some of you know this, if you've traveled by air in the last year, it was great. I mean, there's nobody sitting beside you who had, you know, had, had, a, had a garlic tuna fish sandwich the, 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 for breakfast. Uh, there, there, you got all kinds of space. Uh, you sit down and, and, and you, don't, you don't get, you know, Sprite or something like that like you used to. Now you just get a stale cookie. But, but you, you know, I mean, it's just you get into an airplane and you go someplace. You get into a car and you put it on cruise control and five, six, ten hours later you're there. It's wonderful. Think how difficult it was for Paul. He got on these boats or he went over, he walked or maybe he rode a donkey. I mean, that was, a, that was, that was like the, 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 the good way to travel. But he went thousands of miles. He went thousands of miles to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where it had not been before. If that meant traveling those many miles to tell people about Jesus, to tell them that they could live forever, to tell them that their sins could be forgiven, to tell them that the bondages could be broken, to tell them that the devils could be driven out, to tell them that bodies could be healed, to tell them that minds could be made right in Jesus. If that's what it took for him to get the word out, then he was going to hit the road. Paul continued to travel. In verse 14, look down a couple of verses, Paul wrote this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul was saying here, it is the love of of Jesus Christ that compelled. What drove him before? It was the hatred for Christianity. It was his hatred for what he perceived 
what he sincerely thought was a false prophet. It was the hatred for Jesus and for what Jesus represented that Paul traveled and, and, and was intent on, 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 on rounding Christians up and, and even killing them. That's what drove him. That's what compelled him before. But now, decades later, he writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, it's Jesus' love that compels me. It's Jesus' love that drives me. It's Jesus' love that makes me hit the road to get the message out to other people. I need to tell some of you, you need to understand that why we do what we do, it's because Jesus' love is within us. We tell other people, we tell other people about Jesus Christ because we know that if they don't hear about him and if they don't surrender their lives to him, then they are going to spend an eternity in hell. It is Jesus' love that compels us. Jesus' love for us and Jesus' love for them. It's his love that drives us. We are often, as followers of Jesus Christ, We are often condemned and saying, you speak against us and so you're not loving. It's to the contrary. It's because I love you that I tell you this message that you must turn from your wickedness. You must turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ because without him you are eternally lost. It's because of my love for him and my love for you that I say this. Paul did what he did because of Jesus' love for mankind. Excuse me. Paul did what he did because he was consumed with Jesus' love. I mentioned earlier about missions, about giving Why do people tithe? Why do people give offerings? Why do people send missionaries? Why why have some of you sent your children out or your grandchildren out or a loved one out? I prayed with someone this morning who's going to be going on a missions trip that's going to last for about four or five months. Ramel, why do you do what you do? you got other things to do. It's because Jesus' love compels you. Why do we do these things? Why do we take the good news of Jesus Christ to that person who's dying? Because it's Jesus' love that compels us. We do this so that others will hear. Jesus did what he did because of his love for mankind. Here's the thing. God also brought people around Paul who traveled with him. You see, Paul didn't do this alone. You'll see that more and more in the next few weeks. But Paul never traveled alone. He says, we're going to do this because Jesus' love compels us, but I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to take someone with me. I want to be very careful with my next statements You're going to have to take this and you're going to have to apply it to yourself. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not 
I'm not indicting anyone. Please understand that. But one of the great tragedies that has happened in recent months, I'm not faulting isolation. and I'm not, if necessary, uh, uh, to contain some things and to not spread it to some who, I, I get all of that. My greatest concern, however, is that some people have isolated themselves from the body of Christ and they're starting to wither away. Jesus did not call us to be isolated from other believers. He called us to do this thing called following Jesus Christ together. And he put people around Paul. And, and, and he put Paul with other people so that together they would strengthen each other, so that together they would encourage each other, so that together they would go further than they could have gone on their own. The task before us has always been great. The tasks that we have of reaching people for Jesus Christ are perhaps now in some way more challenging than other times. But the need has never been greater. And we must do this together. We must do it together. We must walk this journey together on our journey of following Jesus Christ, we will travel further and we will travel, travel better when others are with us on the journey. And so I'm asking that even in these weeks in which we look into God's word again, that, that the Lord will stir us and say, am I, am I surrounding myself with these kinds of people and perhaps even more importantly, am I being this kind of a person to those around me? And so I'm asking in these weeks to come, one way or another, however you connect with us in person, electronically, that your hearts would be open to say, I understand that we're on a journey. It's a journey of following Jesus Christ. We're on a journey, and I don't know how long it's going to last until Jesus returns or until I die. But while I'm on this journey, we're called to walk together. So I ask that your hearts would be open to what God has for you. We're about to close our time this morning. Before we do that, though, I want to give an invitation. We're talking about this journey, and, and it's quite simply this. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? I can almost promise you that it will not experience a flashing light from heaven, an audible voice from heaven, or you being knocked down to the ground as Paul was. But I will say this. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. I want you on this journey. Maybe here in this room, maybe, maybe it's your watching us or listening to us online would you bow your heads with me right now across this 
congregation. If there's anyone here this morning, particularly in this room, if, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you may know a lot about him, but you don't really know him. You may even be a devout person, but you're not within his family yet. If that's you, would you raise your hands? I, I, I want to pray with you. Before we go any further, I, I want to pray with you. Give you this opportunity. Thank you in the balcony. Is there anyone else? Anyone else who would say, yeah, I, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Today is the day. Today's the day when I not just know about him, but I want to know him. Two persons have raised their hands. Would you write where you are? Just, just repeat this prayer after me, very, very quietly, but just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I recognize that I'm hopeless without you. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead for me. I want to live for you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want a relationship with you. So forgive my sins. Come into my life. Change me. Help me as I walk this journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that very simple prayer, either here, uh, we want to talk with you. There will be several in the foyer. I will be in the foyer. You can come and speak with me. If you were listening or watching online, um, there's a place for you to respond as well. We would ask that you would go ahead and do that as well. We want to pray with you and get some materials to you. We're on a journey. We're on a journey telling other people about Jesus. Would you stand with me, please, across this congregation? Now, Lord, I ask your blessing upon them as we go in your power and in your presence. Lord, as perhaps some gather around these altars, I ask that you would meet them there. I thank you for the journey that we're on. Help us, Lord, to follow you, to follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the power and in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ.